Thanks for coming in on short notice. No problem. Um, but can we just get right to it, Doc? I mean, the waiting's been impossible, and um, I, I just need to know what you found. Oh, when you came in two months ago, we had hoped that the problem was localized. You insisted the outbursts were only happening at your home when you were stressed out about work. That's right. Well, as you know, we did some follow-up testing to see if the symptoms would disappear when the problems had changed. And I have the results of those tests. And? I'm afraid it's not good news. I'm sorry, my fear all along was that the anger was not contained. And as you can see, it's not localized to a few disagreements with your wife and kids. In fact, it's spread to nearly every area of your life. Are you, are you sure? I, I, I'm just shocked, you know? I never expected to be here. Even though it does run in the family. Hardly anyone expects it. The fact is, these symptoms can lie dormant for months. But when they flare up, well, you know, and we saw them very clearly in your staff meeting at your office and at the parent-teacher conference yeah, but, and in the line at Dunkin' Donuts. Well, now, that was not my fault. If you had seen that guy, you would have... I should have... I should have... Um come in a year ago, uh, you know, uh, but uh, I uh, kept putting it off and uh, would it have made any difference? Possibly, but we need to choose a course moving forward. I'm not going to lie to you that this treatment is not going to be easy. So, it's um I mean, is it serious? I'm afraid that it is. Well, if pride is the most subtle of the seven deadly sins, anger may be the most obvious. For one thing, anger shows I mean, the other sins, lust, greed, envy, they're kind of invisible, they're internal. We can be harboring them in our hearts and no one would ever know. But anger, anger shows. A raised voice, a scowl, harsh words, a clenched fist. Anger shows. For another thing, anger hurts people. Again, the other sins, uh, pride, sloth, uh, gluttony, they, they tend to do their damage to us before affecting other people. But anger, anger usually hurts other people first. So anger shows and anger hurts. It's probably the most obvious of the seven deadly sins. Chances are most of us can look back over this past week and think of a time or two or three when our anger showed, when it was hurtful. At home, school, on the job, on the road. As the doc says, it's serious. 
At the same time, of all the deadly sins, anger is the only one that can also be a virtue. I mean, none of the others are ever good, right? Greed, gluttony, lust, that's just never good. But anger, anger can actually be an appropriate response to someone or something. In fact, anger is the only one of the list that we can actually legitimately ascribe to God. God may be slow to anger, but he gets there sometimes. So of all the deadly sins, anger may be the most tricky to understand and deal with. Because with the other sins, it's about overcoming them. With anger, it's about managing it. I mean, we don't talk about managing lust or envy. We want to get rid of it. We want to expunge it from our lives. But we can't expunge anger, apparently. It's something we have to learn to live with and deal with in godly ways. If we don't, it can be deadly. So last week, we began this Lenten journey towards Holy Week. We've been using the seven deadly sins that have come down to us from church tradition as a way of kind of laying our hearts bare before the Lord. We're inviting him to use the, this list to reveal what's wrong on the inside, to heal any damage that's been done, but then ultimately to change us from the inside out. So last week, we introduced a little grid that kind of helps us uh, understand these things a little bit better and to deal with them. So for each of the deadly sins, we're also identifying a lively virtue and then a healthy habit that gets us from one to the other, something we can do besides just gritting our teeth and trying harder. So in the case of pride, we want to get to a place of humility, and the, the route we can take, the practice that helps us get there is worship. Because worship reminds us who we really are before God, that we're sinners saved by grace. It reminds us of who we are in Christ, that we're children of God, that we are destined for glory, that we're gifted to do something good and beautiful in this world. And so we are freed from pride, we learn, when we remember exactly who we are before God and in Christ, and worship helps us do that. Now, if you were here last week, you heard me confess my own struggles with pride, and some of you were kind enough to help me with that by stopping on the way out last Sunday and saying, lousy sermon, Pastor. <laughs> so thanks for keeping me humble. I appreciate it very much. I mean, the truth is I've really been encouraged by people's response to this series. I'm sensing a real readiness and eagerness for God to do a fresh work in all of our hearts and help us become the people and the congregation that God wants us to be. Now, as I said last week, we're going to have to double up a little bit to get all of them in during this season. So I'm speaking on anger this morning. This evening, Pastor Tim will be speaking on gluttony. So that's at 5 o'clock. Come check it out. You can still get home for dinner. <laughs> all right, let's get to anger. And uh, let's try a case study approach this morning. We're going to call it the case of the angry young man. And that man's name is Cain. And his story is found in Genesis chapter 4. So let's kind of walk through this case study, see what we can learn about anger, and then towards the end we'll bring our chart back and try to uh, chart a way forward. So let's pick up the story, Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, 
Cain brought some of the portions of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Well, the first thing we learn from this case study is that anger is a natural human emotion. Now, the human story is only one generation old, and already anger shows up. It doesn't seem like Cain had to manufacture this feeling. No one had to come along and sow a seed of anger in his heart like we saw with pride and Adam and Eve. No, something happened, Cain didn't like it, and he got angry. His face was downcast, the text tells us. And so we learn right from the get-go that we are emotional beings, and those emotions are meant to be expressed. That's how God made us. When we're happy, we smile. When we're sad, we, we cry. When we're angry, we scowl or frown or holler or gnash our teeth in frustration. Ah! We show it. Well, that's to be expected. Emotions are natural, and they, they're meant to be expressed, not buried, not stifled, not denied, but expressed in healthy, godly ways. Ephesians 4 tells us, in your anger... Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Paul seems to be acknowledging that anger is, is something we're all going to feel sometimes, and that that feeling is not necessarily sinful. It's a natural expression of our human emotion and the way God made us. Now, I find it interesting that the first display of anger in human history happens at home or at least among members of a family, a couple of brothers in this case. Now, why is that? Why, why is it that we can get the angriest with the people we are closest to, friends and family? Now, maybe it's because we spend so much time with each other, we're bound to get on each other's nerves. Or maybe it's because we care so much, because we've invested so much in these relationships, because we want so much from these relationships. Family can bring out the best and the worst in us. Now, I shared last week that uh, if, if, if pride is at the top of my list of deadly sins to deal with, anger, honestly, is probably at the bottom. I've just really never had much of an issue with anger. I didn't grow up in an angry household, and it's just not been a big feature of my personality. Uh, back in the day, I was a youth pastor for a few years, and I used to work with 100 kids, middle schoolers, high schoolers, you know, day in, day out for three years. And as the saying goes, kids can do the darndest things, <laughs> especially when you take them on a retreat or a 10-day wilderness trip or something like that. But in all those years, all the goofy, crazy, reckless, sometimes annoying things that kids did, I really, I just never lost it with them. I just didn't. I, I was famous, and Brian never gets angry. Then I had kids of my own. <laughs> and the whole thing changed. I had no idea how frustrated I could get. I was, I, I was shocked. I was dismayed when, when these feelings came gushing up from some deep, dark place that didn't know was there. At a two-year-old, or a 12-year-old, or a 20-something-year-old, they just kind of came up from nowhere. It caught me by surprise. Now, by God's grace, I don't think it ever got out of control, but, but I know looking back, 
There were times I was too harsh, too loud, too demanding, too controlling. It, it's, it's down in there, in me and in all of us. I was talking to a police officer the other day. He told me that the calls that any officer fears the most are domestic disputes. He said, you never know what you're going to find when you open that door. Who's angry at who and what they're going to do to whoever is there. He said, it gets ugly fast and dangerous. He said, it's ugliest when lovers are fighting, but it's deadliest when brothers are fighting. And so maybe it's no surprise that one generation into human history, anger rears its ugly head, it happens at home, and it pretty quickly gets ugly. The second thing we learn out anger here is, is that anger tells us something is wrong. Anger tells us something is wrong. We get angry when things don't work the way they're supposed to work, when our flight gets delayed, when spring doesn't come, <laughs> when a criminal gets off on a technicality. We, we get mad. It's not supposed to be that way. We get mad when people do things they're not supposed to do, when someone cuts us off in traffic, when, when a child uh, disobeys us, when, when a coworker doesn't carry his or her weight, when, when someone hurts a child. Those things aren't right. We get angry. Now, anger is rooted in our sense of justice. Some things are right and some things are wrong. There's a way the world is supposed to work, and when it doesn't work that way, we get mad. The problem, of course, is that our sense of justice gets skewed by our own selfishness, and we end up deciding what's right and what's wrong based on what's right and wrong for us. Like... And we have to wait more than 30 seconds in line at Dunkin' Donuts. Or when our spouse isn't as attentive as we'd like them to be. Or when uh, someone else gets the promotion at work. So sometimes anger's telling us something's wrong, but sometimes what's wrong is inside of us. So in this case, Cain was angry because his brother's offering was accepted and his was not. Now, we're, we're, we're not told why. Cain sensed that this was wrong, that this wasn't right, it wasn't fair, but we don't know exactly why it wasn't accepted. Maybe it's because it was a grain offering instead of a, of a meat offering, but we're not told that in the text. Maybe it's because it wasn't a first fruits offering the way Abel's was, but again, we're not told that in the text. Maybe there was nothing at all wrong with the offering itself. What was wrong was in Cain's heart that he brought it begrudgingly. We don't know. Cain didn't know. But his anger told him something's wrong here. You know that little warning light that comes on the dashboard of your car once in a while? It tells you something's wrong inside. Something's not working right. Now, you don't know exactly what it is. You may have to find out. But if you don't find out what it is and tend to it, something bad can happen. Well, anger's like that. It's a warning light on the dashboard of life telling us that something is wrong with the world, with the relationship, with, with us. We may not know what it is right away, but if we don't find out and tend to it, something bad can happen. The third thing we learn from this case study is that anger presents us with an opportunity to do right or wrong. An opportunity to do right or wrong. Remember, the feeling of anger itself isn't sinful. It's a signal. What we do in response to that signal 
is going to be either right or wrong. Let's continue the story at verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Anger is part of our fight-or-flight mechanism. It's built into us. When things aren't right, our, our pulse quickens. Our senses go on high alert. We want to act quickly and decisively to fix what's wrong, to make things safe or right or good. And, and that can be a good thing. Back in 1970, a young man named Marcus Brown, only 18 years old, was killed by a drunk driver on a highway. His mother, Becky Brown, channeled her grief and anger by bringing together a coalition of, 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 of local parents who also had lost children to drunk driving. And they began a campaign there in North Florida to increase awareness and prevention of this problem. Well, that movement became what we know today as MAD. Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And that movement over the decades has changed the culture. It has changed the laws surrounding this issue. It has saved hundreds and thousands of lives because someone got mad and did something about a wrong. So there is such a thing as righteous anger. When Jesus came into the temple and found money changers there, crowding out seekers and worshipers and exploiting the poor, he got angry. It was wrong. That's not what the temple was meant for. And so in anger, he acted quickly and decisively to stop the evil, to drive those money changers out. And when he did, Matthew tells us, the children came in, and the lame, and the crippled, and the needy, and they were ministered to. So there is a way to be good and angry. When we're angry about the things that God gets angry about, when our anger prompts us to act in ways that promote well-being and serve God's purposes, anger can be righteous. Unfortunately, all too often, our anger becomes an opportunity for us to do something wrong. And that leads to our fourth lesson. Sinful anger is a hurtful and misdirected display of passion. A hurtful and misdirected display of passion. Let's keep going in verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were there in the field, Cain killed his brother, attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Cain's anger over his rejected offering told him something was wrong. But instead of finding out what was wrong, he decided to fix things his own way by killing his brother. Now, had Abel done anything wrong? No. He had simply brought an offering as he was supposed to do. Cain's issue wasn't really with Abel. It was with God. But he directed it at his brother. And did killing his brother fix anything? Did it make anything go away? No. He was, in fact, things were, were worse than ever. Now his brother is dead. His parents are grieving. He is still angry, but he's also guilty and afraid and more isolated than ever. His anger didn't accomplish 
anything. The book of James tells us, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For human anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. See, anger is, is almost always about control. If I yell loudly enough, if I speak harshly enough, if I sulk long enough, if I, if I threaten significantly enough, if I strike quickly enough, I can make people do what I want them to do. I can make the world work the way I want it to work. I can fix things. Anger gives us the illusion of control. The irony, of course, is that when anger gets the best of it, what hap us, us, what happens? We lose it. We lose control instead of gaining it, and we don't accomplish anything. Let's come back to that definition again, a hurtful and misdirected display of emotion. When anger makes us do something hurtful instead of helpful, it's sinful. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now, most of us are not likely to commit murder when things don't go our way. But there are many, many ways to hurt people emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Karen and I are sitting in on the marriage course that we're offering here in Lexington on Thursday evenings. Two weeks ago, the lesson was about uh, handling conflict. And we learned there in that lesson that uh, people tend to respond to conflict or res express their anger in one of two ways, like a rhinoceros or like a porcupine, one or the other. Some people, when they get angry, are like rhinos. They get aggressive. When they're, when they're attacked, they charge, leading with their horn. Other people, when they get angry, are like porcupines. They're more passive. They withdraw into themselves, and they put out their prickly quills. And while porcupine behavior is more socially acceptable, it's really just another way of punishing or controlling people. Remember I told you before how proud I was of never getting angry? Well, the truth is, I get angry. It's just that I have a socially acceptable way of expressing it. I'm not a rhino. I'm a porcupine. But it's just another way of punishing or controlling people when I don't like the way things are going. So that makes me two for two on the seven deadly sins list. <laughs> you know, it might make for some interesting conversation this afternoon or at your life community to kind of go around and identify, are you a rhino or a, or a porcupine? And it can help you handle your anger better. So anger becomes sinful when it becomes hurtful. Now, we've had a little bit of fun with it here, but I don't, want to, I don't want to gloss over the fact that anger unchecked can lead to abuse. Abuse is defined as one person in an intimate relationship trying to dominate or control another. One person in an intimate relationship trying to dominate or control another. 
Now, abuse isn't always physical. When we yell or swear or threaten or throw things or punch walls, that's abusive behavior, even if we've never been physically violent. And if those kinds of things are happening in your home or your workplace, they're wrong. They're sinful. Something needs to be done about it. If, if you're the one behaving in those ways, then, then get some help or get out or both. If you're on the receiving end of those kinds of things, get some help or get out or both. I know we're slowing down here for just a moment. It's a fairly significant moment. But just want everybody to understand that we were not meant to live in these kinds of relationships. It's wrong. It needs to be stopped. So if you're in a situation like that, if you need some help one way or another, come to us. We have folks who can help you get to a better place. So anger becomes sinful when it's hurtful. It becomes sinful when it's misdirected. Cain was angry with God, but he took it out on Abel. When you, when you get mad at the waitress because your steak is overdone, when you yell at your kids because you had a bad day at work, when you punish yourself because of something someone else did, that's misdirected anger. Psychologists will tell us that depression is often anger turned inward. So hurtful, misdirected anger is sinful. So with that understanding in mind, let's see if we can't move to a better place. So let's come back to our little grid here, our chart, and try to fill it in a little bit. If anger is the deadly sin, what's the lively virtue that corresponds to it? My first thought was patience, waiting on God, waiting on people to change, but that sounded too passive. I thought maybe it's gentleness or meekness. Those are certainly admirable and Christ-like qualities, but they seem, to, they seem to lack the intentionality, the urgency that anger rouses us to. Many people have proposed justice as the corresponding virtue to anger. Since ang anger is often rooted in injustice, and there's some truth to that, but justice seemed a little too narrow, like something was missing. So eventually, I landed on the word righteousness, righteousness. Actually, it was Scripture that pointed me in that direction. God said to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? James tells us human anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Righteousness is the corresponding virtue. Now, what's righteousness? That's one of those big church words. It's simply what the word means. It's rightness. It's being right and it's doing right. It's being right with God, with others, and with yourself, and it's doing what's right by the world and by everyone else. So anger is about justice, putting things right, but it's also about relationships, putting people right with each other, with God, with you. Think about it this way. Let's say your, your teenager comes home two hours after curfew. You're angry. 
For one thing, you've been sitting up awake for two hours waiting for them to get home. But more importantly, they, they've disobeyed you and they've, they've violated your trust. So you're ticked off, you're angry. And so you, you let them have it. You tell them just how disappointed you are. You tell them, grounded, two weeks, you're not seeing your friends for the next two weeks. Well, that, that's justice. The next morning, when they finally come down for breakfast or lunch, <laughs> you sit down next to them and you, you tell them that you love them. And you suggest that since they can't go out with their friends next weekend, maybe the two of you can go skiing for the day. See, that's righteousness. It's addressing what's wrong, but it's preserving the relationship. That's where God wants us to go with our anger. But, but how do you get that? How do you, how do you get there? How do you go from anger to righteousness like that? How do you know what to do, and where do you find the strength to do those kinds of things? Once again, I searched for an answer, and the answer I landed on is prayer. Now, I know what you're thinking. You preachers, it's always Jesus or prayer, you know? <laughs> Pray more. But I'm not thinking of prayer as in, help me, Lord, not to get angry. We've all prayed that prayer. It's a fine prayer to pray. But I'm talking about the prayer before that prayer. I'm talking about the prayer that says, I am mad, God. I'm really ticked off at her, at him, at them, at myself, at the world, at you. I'm angry, and I don't know what to do about it. I'm talking about bringing to God your frustration, your exasperation, your helplessness, your fear and frustration. I'm talking about just laying it all out before God. I'm talking about an angry prayer. Now, that may sound scary, but you find them all through the Scriptures. Moses, David, Elijah, Jeremiah, the disciples... Mary, Martha, they, they, they all at some point vented their frustration with the Lord. Listen to, listen to Psalm 10. David writes, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? David doesn't like the way things are going in the world, and, and he's mad at God about it, and he tells him so. Later on, he writes, Break the arm of the wicked and evil man. Call him to account for his wickedness. Well, that's pretty rough stuff. God takes it. He lets His people pray those kinds of things. Now, He doesn't usually do what they're asking Him to do, and He doesn't leave them too long in that place. But He meets them in that place. He hears them, and He guides and leads them to a better place, revealing what's really going on in them, in the world, and in His purposes, and revealing to them a better way to respond. There's only a few good things we can do with our anger. We can speak it. We can say out loud what we're angry about and why and name it so that something can be done about it. We can speak it. Secondly, we can channel it. We can allow that worked-up passion and, and energy to, to be directed to some positive course of action that really does make things better. We can speak it, we can channel it, or we can release it by forgiving whoever or whatever has made us mad. Now, that last one can be the toughest, releasing it. But sometimes it's really the only thing we can do. 
Paul writes, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Three righteous things to do with anger. Speak it so everybody knows what's wrong. Channel it to make things in a better place or release it by forgiving whoever or whatever has offended you. Only God can show you what's the right thing to do in any given situation. And only God can give you the strength to do these things which are not always easy to do. And so the first thing you want to do when you're angry is to bring it to God in prayer. William Willimon was for many years the dean of the chapel at Duke University. He's a wonderful preacher and author. He's written a book on the seven deadly sins that I have found helpful for this series. The book is entitled, Sinning Like a Christian. <laughs> In his chapter on anger, he tells a powerful story. He talks about a woman he met in Belfast some years ago, a wonderful, godly woman whose husband, a good man, was murdered some 10 years earlier in cold blood in front of her eyes on the doorstep of his house by some political revolutionaries trying to make a point. And yet this woman was one of the most compassionate and committed Christ followers he'd ever met. He asked her, how, how was she able to be who she was after what had happened to her? And she said, the day her husband was murdered, as she stood over his lifeless body as his murderers took off down the street, all she said she could do in that moment was to pray. It's the only thing she could think of. And the only prayer she could muster was, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And she said, in that moment I knew the only way I would ever get over this evil was to forgive the people who had done it. And I knew the only way I could do that was if God helped me. And so I prayed my second prayer, help me, God, every day to forgive. And God did help her, and she did forgive. And she is today an active, life, world-changing kind of a Christian person. Well, Willimon, as he heard and processed that story, Wondered how in the world a person could ever find the grace to forgive something like that. And then he remembered another good man, also murdered in cold blood by people trying to prove a point. And that man, he remembered in his dying breath, prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Willimon realized that there on the cross, God's righteous anger against sin was on display. Punishing sin and forgiving sinners in a decisive and dramatic act. How does the song go that we love to sing? 
till on that cross as, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. There in the cross of Christ I live. If God in his righteousness could find a way to punish sin and forgive sinners, then he can surely show us a right way to deal with our anger. I don't know who or what might be making you mad these days. I don't know if you're a rhino or a porcupine. But I do know that if you're human, you're going to get angry. And what you do with that anger can be helpful or hurtful, sinful or righteous. The only way you'll find a way forward is to bring it to God, first of all. Sincerely, honestly, fully, bring it to God. Because when we bring our anger to God, He and we are able to do something good with it. Let's bow and pray for a moment. So we pray, I'd like to provide just a moment or two to process whatever we might be feeling in our hearts right now. So if you're feeling convicted about mismanaging your anger in recent days, use these moments to confess it, bring it to God, receive His forgiveness. If you're feeling angry at someone or something and you don't know what to do with that anger, bring it to God. Ask Him what He wants you to do with it. If you know what He wants you to do, but you don't see how in the world you can do it, remember what He did for you at the cross and ask for His help. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.